going to be in 1 Corinthians. And as we come to this really, it's a unique part. Um, I, want, I want to get into this by laying out some things preliminary first. And one of the most important things is uh, it's always good to remember the beginning of some of our doctrines and beliefs. In the book of Genesis, which the word Genesis is beginnings, has the beginning of a lot of things, including the family, including marriage. In chapter 2 of Genesis, that is God's plan of marriage. God's plan of marriage is not found after the fall. Okay, after the fall, what God, you see Paul writes about and all those other things in Ephesus and in in Colossians and other places, is how we get back to where God wants us to be in a fallen, sinful world. Okay, because man has, if there's anything humanity has royally messed up outside of faith, it is marriage. In Genesis 2, a man and a woman Come together for life until death do them part. Um, they come together in Genesis to be one. There is, in the concept of marriage, a completeness that the male and the female, and it's the male and the female, complete each other. Please understand. Males and males don't complete each other. Female and females don't complete each other. It's obvious they don't. It's, it's science, whatever that means. But it's more than that. It's the way God created us in his image. And creating us from the very beginning, back in Genesis 1, he separates humanity, not by species, like he does dogs and cats. He separates us by gender, male and female. And while animals can have different mates all they want to, it really doesn't matter because they're not moral beings, you and I have one that God brings to our life, male and female. And so there's completeness. We are made to complement each other. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh is a complementary. We come together face to face. And we become one flesh. There is something about marriage that is unifying, that speaks of wholeness. The Judeo-Christian view of life is in completeness and wholeness, the way God created us. We are not separated into physical spiritual, mental, emotional. We may make reference to that. We are one. The entirety of us are created in the image of God. In redemption, in salvation, the entirety of us is reclaimed by God in Christ. In the end, when Jesus comes again and there's a resurrection, we will have a new body to be united with the essence of our soul, if you want to put it that way, and we will be one. There's completeness. That's how God views us. That is our way of viewing life. To separate life into fragments and distinctions is pagan. It is outside the teaching that God reveals to us. That's important because we're going to come to a passage. In a fallen world that is in a thoroughly pagan culture that deals with immorality. Specifically, Paul is going to deal with people who unite the prostitute. Now, remember last week I said if all you do is take these things and you think it's just specifics and you forget the generalities, this will get you messed up because you'll say, well, you know, as long as I don't unite with the temple prostitute, I'm okay. I don't know any temple prostitutes. I don't know any prostitutes, period. I don't want to make too big a distinction between that. 
So this obviously deals with something much more than that. Now, in the world of Corinth, we're in Corinth, right? Okay, okay. I'm preaching out of Colossians Sunday, and once again, when I do Paul, I do Paul two different things at one week, and Paul, I'm forgetting, okay, was that in Colossians or whatever? Uh, it, was, it was, I shared earlier when I did the introduction, so I'll go back real quickly. It was a city that was a port city. Two, two seas, two oceans, in essence, came into, uh, or two seas came into the uh, area of Corinth. It was, it was thoroughly pagan, very cosmopolitan. I mean, you just picture the worst. If, you, if you've ever been in any seaport, some of you were, grew up in the Navy and all that, you know what it's like. It's just, it's just that way. Um, and on top of that, it, was, it had all these pagan religions, including a different temple, I think Aphrodite and all that. And, and there was a huge temple there, I think, to Aphrodite. And at night, the temple prostitutes would come down. Now, in paganism, prostitution was important for two, several reasons. One, they raised money. See, the pagans figured out that if you take the corrupted lustfulness of men and you give them an easy out with prostitution, they'll pay for that. And then, of course, the religion will make money. It, so it was a money-making enterprise. And the money went back to the temple. So when you united with the prostitute, it was considered a paganism in some sort of convoluted way, in a very broad scheme, crude type of worship. But your money went back to the promotion of that pagan idol. So not only did you have sexual morality, you had idolatry. A lot of the people in Corinth came from paganism, obviously. They weren't Gentile. There were a few Jews, but mostly Gentile. They were saved out of that. In the course of time, in becoming followers of Jesus, and as I've shared before in, in Corinth, it all got skew. You know, within a short period of time, people, some thought they were these super Christians, and they felt a certain libertarianism, that once you had been saved, you could live however you wanted to live. Because you were once saved, always saved, nothing can take away from that, in essence. That's kind of a rather oversimplistic way of phrasing it. And so... They were oftentimes, as we'll see throughout the book of Corinthians, and already seen, we'll see more, tempted to go back to doing things they've done before. It's always that way. We're, we're, we're called out of a lifestyle. We're called out of a world. If we don't completely remove ourselves from it, a lot of times those temptations call us back. It can be very difficult. So that's where we kind of come today. So we come to verse 1 in chapter 6. Excuse me, verse 12 in chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, some of you, I read from the American Standard, if you have the NIV or any other modern language translation, all things are lawful, they're probably in quotation marks. It is believed universally that here, and maybe in a couple other places, but they are, Paul is quoting them, that they had a slogan, all things are lawful, all things are good, I can do anything. They may have got that from Paul himself because in, in, in teaching them about Christ, in teaching them to be free, he may have talked about now that you're free in Jesus, you, you can live a life in Christ. You can live a life in God. You can live the way you want with the understanding that the way you want is how God leaves you. You have freedom in Jesus. We talk all the time about being free in Christ. I have freedom in Jesus. The freedom I experience today is not because the Constitution gives me freedom, though it does. Politically, it, the framers of the Constitution Declaration of Independence learned about freedom from a Judeo-Christian worldview. The only worldview that values freedom is the Judeo-Christian worldview. Christianity, in essence, is the only religion that values freedom. In every other religion, ideology, and worldview 
slavery is acceptable. It's just a fact. It's Christianity that had led the way in saying it's not. By the way, as our culture becomes increasingly less Christian, post-Christian, post-modern, we are seeing a startling rise in the number of people who are somehow captivated or enslaved, even in our own country. Now, they're not slaves like we see in the 1800s, so we don't think of it as slavery. But human trafficking is growing rapidly in the world and in America, and there are people in our cities who are, in essence, enslaved because it is a mindset of the devaluing of human life. Paul says you go around saying all things are lawful, all things, I can do anything. He says, okay, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Not all things benefit you. So you can do anything, but, but some things are bad. Yeah, you can do it. You know, you know, people can live a certain way, sure. But it destroys their life. <laughs> I, I come on my dad's side, my mom's side. I mean, my dad you know, is with the Lord now. But uh, all of his, all, my dad and all his brothers, you know, they're all past now. And, and I think four of the five of them were drunks or alcoholics. I asked the distinction, and one of my uncle who was a drunk said, well, alcoholics go to meetings, and I don't like meetings. So that made his distinction, he said. He was the humorous of the family. All of them, drinking was certainly permissible. Destroyed their lives. My dad died way too soon because alcohol destroyed his life. One of his brothers, two of his brothers died too soon because alcohol destroyed their life. Only one of them lived long enough to have what you would say a normal life. And he probably was the least of the, of the alcoholics. Yeah, things are lawful. They're not profitable. Things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. The word for master, it, 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 the root of the word master is the word authority. You know, our concept, you know, the authentic Jesus, you know, the authority of Jesus, the authority of Christ, the authority of Scripture. The, the, it is the inherent right to rule over, in essence. I'm not going to be ruled over, mastered by sin. How often do we let sin run our life? It's easy. You know, you know when you deal, we all have sins we deal with, so, you know, if you, you know, I, I deal with pride a lot. If I'm not careful, pride masters me. Whenever my pride masters me, man, I'm bitter, I'm crumpy, I, 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 I'm dissatisfied. I know what's going on. I'm saying, God, you can get me out of this. Because my arrogance, my pride is ruling over me. I become, I become enslaved to it in essence. It's not, you know, I mean, just, I'm letting it run my life. If you're not careful, your freedom will enslave you. It will master you. You ever been, as a follower of Jesus, you've ever felt mastered by the sinfulness of your life, of the freedoms you think are okay? Paul said this, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. That may have been another saying they had. But God will do away with both of them, yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So he's saying this. They were saying, you know, food is for the stomach, stomach is for the food. So, you know, they, they were saying, so sex and, and eating are both needs in, in life. And so they're both okay. And so if food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food, you can enjoy that. And varieties of food and varieties of this or that, then you can do the same thing. And Paul is saying, here's the thing. 
Food is for the stomach, and stomach is for the food. But God's going to do away with both of those things. When you die, they're both gone. In the resurrection body, it's different than what it, my resurrected body will be different than this body. I have no idea what it'll look like. I'm assuming I'm slimmer. And hopefully, Jimmy will have hair. I could have picked on someone else but you were there. But he said, here's the important thing. While food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food, your body is not for immorality. It's for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. The wholeness of your life is to God. When when God created me, when I was born, at, at the instant of conception, when I became a human being because I was the bearer of image of God, that, by the way, is our argument, why life begins at conception. It's not biological life per se. It is we bear the image of God at the moment of conception. From that moment on, the totality of David has belonged to God. And when I sinned and rebelled against God and he redeemed me in Christ, he redeemed all of me. Not part of me. He redeemed all of me. All of every person belongs to God. And God, by by nature... Belong, it's for the body, and the word body here, the term for body is the, is the, the complete body. It, the Lord claims ours. Notice what he says in verse 14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, that is Jesus, but will also raise us up through his power. Just as God resurrected Jesus, he's going to resurrect us. Now we're going to see sometime in 2022 when we get to chapter 15. It'll probably take about three weeks to get through chapter 15. I preached from it two weeks ago when I preached... Uh, you know, about the, the myth of the resurrection. Paul's going to deal in depth with the, re- with the resurrection of our bodies. He says, he raised the Lord up. You all believe that? He's going to raise you up too. By the way, resurrection is also a uniquely Judeo-Christian worldview. Eastern mysticism has reincarnation. They are fundamentally opposites in every capacity we a resurrection is the race you know we're going to be raised so you're going to be raised with your body so now god is not only raised the lord but your body verse 15 says do you not know that your bodies are members of christ so shall i take away the members of christ and make them members of a prostitute and it may ever be your entirety of your body not just the flesh but your entirety you belong to Christ. You're a member of Christ. There's a oneness. You know, in the Christianity, we always have to be careful uh, that we, we don't get too mystical over here. Or, you know, you know I'm going to preach about you know, some of that Sunday. We have, you know, we have Christian mystics and everything is kind of existential and out there and you know, kind of almost like magical. But there is a oneness. There's a spiritual component even now that I am one with Christ. That's what we talk about. I mean, the whole purpose of being saved is to be at one with God, at peace with God. And that comes through Christ the Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells within me. I have the Holy Spirit. It's part of me. I am united with Christ. One with Him. So what happens when you go to a prostitute? Well... You take Jesus with you. 
I remember as a youth minister, I, I pulled that stunt that all youth ministers pull. When, you know, when we're talking about dating, that we, we do it to lay a huge amount of guilt on it. It's semi-effective, it's, it's, but we do it. Just remember, when you go on that date, Jesus is right there with you. When you're sitting next to that boy or girl, leave enough room for Jesus to sit between you. you know? <laughs> God, I was a lousy youth minister. Verse 16, notice what he says. So important. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. In Genesis, the man and the woman become one. And as followers of Christ together, they're with Jesus. Anyone outside your spouse, you cannot have a one flesh relationship with them. It's a fraud. It's fake. And in the process as a believer of Jesus and a follower of Christ, I damaged the relationship with my spouse and I damaged the relationship with my Lord. It's a complete damage. And even if you say, well, I'm single, still, the biblical way, the Genesis way, is for you to spend your life with a spouse and to physically be one with a spouse. And that's it. They're not your spouse. They're off limits. Doesn't matter if you're single and married or if they're single and married. They're not your spouse. They're off limits. And once you're married, your spouse. And I mean, listen, I understand divorce and all that. It's your second marriage. I say it all the time. Can't change the past. Just move forward with what's supposed to be. That's, that's part of the importance of having an understanding that marriage goes back to Genesis. And that the solution to marriage is in Genesis. Almost, almost any time in the New Testament you come to anything about marriage, adultery, or whatever, whether it's Jesus or Paul, I think even Peter, most of the time, I'm not going to see every time, most of the time, they end up referencing somehow, some way, Genesis. They go back to Genesis. Well, you know what it was like? Oh, it's supposed to be this way. Back in Genesis, God said this. At the beginning, it was supposed to be this way. That might be. I'm just saying, if Jesus and Paul, when they deal with marriage and divorce and immorality and all that other stuff, if they keep referencing Genesis, maybe that's a hint for you and me that we ought to go back there to start that conversation. I don't know. Seems logical. Seems like that might be the right thing to do. If, you know, if Jesus and Paul did it, maybe that's where we should start. Verse 17. Paperback Bible. I'm tearing the pages out. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. We're one with the Lord. The Holy Spirit within us. So verse 18 says this. Not just flee prostitution. No, no, no. Flee immorality. This next part is really hard. Every other sin a man commits outside, is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. This is a little tough. And there's some differences of opinions. And, and uh, so if you go to the next verse, maybe it'll help shed light. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? So, our body is a temple. Earlier we were told the church is a temple. The temple is the place where God dwells. 
It's not just the whole temple court is, is the holy holy, it's sanctuary. We, we are the temple of God. In other words, we have that relationship with God. Our relationship with God is so intimate that, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Christ through the Holy Spirit. So you, you, you've got to understand, that's the conversation. With that in mind, most of our sin, when it's done, involves a part of us. Okay? Uh, he says it's outside the body. It's outside the, here the body would be not just outside the flesh, outside your wholeness. Put it this way. A lot of times, my arrogance, my pride, just deals with the inner. When I get angry when I drive, which, you know, I did today, but I didn't sin. I was really good. The guy deleted a stupid thing. I'm like, God, I'm cool with it. Even though they're going too slow, they're barely five miles over the speed limit, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get upside. You know? I, I, love, I love down there with the radar, where it flashes. It touches down on Sonoma Ranch, how fast you're going. You, you might be, I'm the record holder, by the way. I'm really proud of that. But immorality involves the totality of me. The physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the married. The wholeness of me sins. And I mean, people can get nitpicky. So what about this? What about that? Okay, that's fine. But, but, you know, bad language. Getting angry. Getting in a dispute. It's, it's, it's not the same thing. The wholeness I'm tired of me. I drag all of me into that sin, including my relationship with Jesus. The entirety of my worth, the entirety of my life. That's why that's, why that's such a devastating sin. That's why some marriages can't recover. That's why even Jesus says, well, don't get divorced, but there is one reason you can. If you can't stay married because of that, and Paul says, well, yeah. That's why we sometimes, when I understand, I deal with people and it's hard. And, you know, I'm not a really good marital counselor. I like to send them to other people, but sometimes I do deal with it. You know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm like, can you overcome this? Because at the end of the day, that's what has to happen. Your spouse cheated on you. Can you overcome that? Because that spouse just took... The, 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 the one who cheated just took their spouse, drug them to a devastating sin. It is devastating. Immorality is destroying our young people, destroying them. This whole thing about gender fluid, and you get to pick whatever this or that, we're going to destroy a generation of humans. Destroy them. Because in that, they are taking the whole essence of who they are and giving it away. God's sad. Verse 20. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. This may be a play on the fact that they would go to the prostitute and pay. They would pay. And Paul is saying, God paid. God paid a price for you. He bought you. When Jesus went on the cross and paid for your sins. There was the, the idea of atonement, the idea of the ransom, the idea of satisfaction of sin. 
He says, so you have been bought with the heavy price, Jesus. So glorify God with your body. Now, I mean, we can take that and you can apply it to eating and drinking all this. And, you know, working out, I got it. But that's, you, know, you can do that and I got it. That's fine. You can, it's all right. But here, it really is talking about in your relationships. The good news is that everything is forgivable. It's good news. And as I say all the time, because I deal with, and I, listen, I deal with this all the time with people. I mean, I'm not, I can be hard on certain things. I can. But I have just a real compassion for people I think who really messed their life up or who have made a sin and struggle with it. You know, my mom and my dad divorced when I was three. I get it, all that. You know, Debbie's parents got divorced. You know, I understand all those things. And this is what I know. You can't change what's happened in the past. But from this day forward, that is still available for change. And in Christ, and only in Christ, from this day forward, you can always have the life he wants you to be. Sometimes there's baggage. I get it. Got a few. Sometimes you got to deal with some of it. Yep. I've been more than a few weddings when I looked at the two folks getting married and their background, and I said, you know you're going to have a lot of baggage, right? Yeah, we know. All right. As long as you know. But this is the beauty of Christ. It's all forgiven. It's white clean. And you can live exactly the way Christ wants you to live from this day forward. That is why only Jesus is good news.